As you can see here upon the overhead projector is my subject for today. That is concerning the husband. And as Brandon said, this is part of our theme for the year where Joshua said, but for as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As found for us in Joshua 24 and verse 15. Brandon, it has already brought lessons concerning the parent, concerning children in the household. Well, my topic is the husband. And I think it would be best that we start off by looking at what the Bible has to say concerning marriage. Just kind of skim over that. First off, we can see that marriage is an institution that was given to us by God. In Genesis, the second chapter, verses 21 and 22, we find there, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. We can see here that God instituted marriage. And because he instituted it, it makes it a divine institution. He brought the woman to man for them to cohabitate together, to be companions together in this life. God showed that this first marriage was to be a pattern for all of mankind. In the 24th verse of Genesis 2, we find there, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is what God intended for man, that these two be joined together. And we'll talk a little bit more about this joining a little later in the lesson. But let me state the obvious fact here, that marriage is between a man and a woman. This is what God designed for marriage. Anything else other than that would be a perversion of what God intended for marriage. Well, we ask, why did he make woman? Well, God saw that man was alone and that none of the animals were suited to complement man. In Genesis, the second chapter, verses 18, and also there in verse 20, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable unto him. And so therefore God made woman for man. Well, what is this suitable or comparable helper? Well, we can see that she is comparable in many aspects. You stop to think physically. She is like man. She has flesh and blood and bones, just like man does. The only difference between man and woman, as far as their physical makeup goes, is the reproduction organs that each have. Mentally, she is like man because she can think and she can reason. And she has intellect, and so therefore she is like man. Emotionally, she is like man, comparable unto man. 
She can love, she can hate, she can be happy, or she can be sad. All these shows that they are compatible. But she is also different from him. You can go and uh, look and see just all kinds of different studies of the differences between the male and the female. There are differences, and that is good because that makes her well-suited for him. It completes him in every way. I was always thankful that uh, my wife, that was Brenda, when we had a young family, uh, the doing the things that she did, she went about and put in the extra effort at holidays and at birthdays and the such like that probably, as a male, I would have just overlooked. But she's, they, women are different. They have those kinds of attitude. Well, they are the same flesh. They are an equal. They are a companion. They are a sharer of his thoughts, his observations, his joys, his purposes, his enterprises. She is truly a helper for him. We go to the book of Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, and looking at verse 9 through 12, verse 9 starts off that two are better than one. And this passage can apply not only to marriage, I believe. I think it, though, is applicable for marriage. In these verses, Solomon, if you go back to verse 7, I believe it is, and you go forward from there, you can see that Solomon is talking. He speaks about the vanity or the emptiness of the miser who remains alone. All he does is he just works tirelessly and continually to amass more wealth. He has nobody to leave it to. He has no brother. He has no child in order to leave all that money that he makes to. And so because of this greediness of this man, it leads Solomon to point out four different reasons here why it is better for this man to have a friend or a mate to share his life with rather than to continue to work, uh, work only to amass wealth for himself. You can see here that two are better than one because they have a greater reward for their labor. You stop to think two people working together can accomplish more than one, two people working individually. And so the, the reward is greater for their labors. Also, we can see that if one should fall, there's one there to lift him up, to lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he, for he has no one to help him up. He's there by himself. He's at the mercy of whoever comes along in order to give him aid. But if he has that companion, they are there to help him up. And then in verse 11, two lie down together, they will keep warm. We understand that, don't we? That two bodies lying close together do 
produce heat. How can one be warm alone? And then finally, here is an individual. He may be overpowered by another, but two can withstand him. And so we can see from what Ecclesiastes here has to say that we can see the, that two is better than one. And I think that is the way it is in marriage. It is better for two living together than to be out here and being by yourself. One of those reasons is because man is a social being. He needs interaction with other people. He needs companionship. I stopped and thought about this point a little bit, and I thought about in a prison system. What is one of the ways in which they punish somebody that breaks the rules? They put him into solitary confinement. And why is that punishment? Because man wants to be with other people. He needs that social interaction. And God has given him to man that which he needs. He's given him to him marriage for that day in and day out companionship to that very close relationship that two human beings can have. Any of us that have lost a mate, and several of us in this congregation has, knows that empty feeling that you have. You may be surrounded by people, but still, there's an emptiness there. It's a loneliness. There's no one to share the things of this life with. In Genesis, the second chapter, in verse 23, Adam said, This is now bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He says she is bones of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She was made like me. Therefore, she is physically, intellectually, morally qualified to be my mate. Man has never, there have been times that man did not view the wife as his equal. And that's really to his shame. Oftentimes, she was considered inferior to man. In our own nation here, in this, this country, it wasn't until the 13th Amendment to the Constitution in 1920 that women were given the right to vote. And why was that? because of the thinking that women were not intelligent enough to be able to select individuals to office or to hold office. But women are the equal. They are both equal in the sight of God. They do not have the same responsibilities. Both have different characteristics that make them better suited for different tasks. And then again, God has given unto them different tasks. And so this morning, it's been given the, I've been given the responsibility to speak concerning the characteristics of the good husband in the marriage. 
And as uh, Brandon said, I, I had so much material, I didn't want you to be here till 12.30, so I uh, decided we'd just break it into two different lessons. Brian, at some time in the near future, will be speaking concerning the wife's responsibility. Brandon asked me to speak on this subject as he did not feel qualified to do so since he's only been married for five years. And I got to thinking, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to teach a lesson along these lines. I was married to Brenda for almost 44 years and now married to Chris and it's been two and a half years for her and I. And marriage is something that you have to work on every day. I have to work on it to be the right kind of husband. You know, we have a danger. And that is sometimes after we've been married for a period of time, we get into a, da- into a comfort zone. And the danger is, is that we take our spouse for granted. You forget their needs, and their desires. You get caught up in your own wants, and you forget about the other half. And then again, too, we have to understand that people grow and change. And as people grow and change, you have to allow for that. I married Brenda in 1972, and I could see through the years how she changed as she became a housewife, a mother. She guided that household and then later in life went out and she worked outside of the home. She changed. That was not bad, but I have to understand that change happens. Marriage is not always a 50-50 proposition. Sometimes it's a zero, 100% proposition. It's nothing about you at all, but it's about your spouse totally. There's an old saying, and that is marriage is a two-way street and that it is always under construction. It is something that we need to work on every day of our lives. Well, let's just take a look now at some characteristics that make up a good husband. First one that we look at is that a good husband will live up to the commitment that he has made. Men often forget the vow, that solemn promise that they stood and made on their wedding day. It would be a vow, something such as this, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death we do part. It's a solemn vow. It is an important commitment that we make unto each other. Our marriage starts with this commitment and a vow to each other. But more importantly, it is a vow to God of our commitment 
to this marriage. Malachi 2 and verse 14. Here we see that the prophet says, Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Now, if you go back and look at the context of this, you can see that God here would not accept their sacrifices. They would, he would not accept their worship. And so they ask the question, for what reason won't he accept our worship unto him? And he goes on to tell them that, the, that uh, they had dealt treacherously with these, these wives of their youth. One of the reasons was that they were divorcing their wives. These wives that had been good unto them had shown love for them, yet they were doing away with those wives. Here we can see that God is a witness to that contract that the two make one to the other, to that promise that has been made between the man and the woman. The breaking of that contract then was to sever their relationship to God. In Proverbs 2 and verse 17, the proverb writer said, Who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Here we can see that he is uh, writing concerning the adulteress. One who would step away from those wedding vows is one who is breaking the law of God. God always intended for one man, one woman for life. Men need to make this commitment easier. Marry the right woman. In Proverbs, the 18th chapter and verse 22, we find Hugh finds a wife finds a good thing. And I think that it can be implied here that he is speaking of a good wife. We can see that Solomon had things to say concerning um, a wife that is not of the right type, that's better to live in the corner of the roof than it is with a contentious woman. And such things as uh, the nagging woman would be like this dripping water. But here he says, the, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I think he's talking about the proper, the right type of wife. This may be kind of a crude example, but I think that some pick a wife like they would a new car. They go onto the showroom floor and they look at all these nice, bright, shiny automobiles. But there's one that catches his eye, that little sports car over to the side. It looks good. But he fails to see that it will not meet his needs. He needed a sedan, not a sports car. The problem is that sometimes we fail to look at the person with a critical eye. Does this person have the same values 
as mine. Are they like me in that way? Does she love God? What are her ambitions, her goals in life? Do they match mine? Will she be there with me no matter what? I'm not saying that there will never be times of disagreement. Problems will arise, but how we react at such times will make all of the difference. If both make a commitment to honor the vows that they have taken, that they have made to each other, all the problems of life can be worked out no matter what they are. Just remember the car can be traded in, but the wife is for life. Just yesterday I was reading and I saw this quote and it's, the quote went, the secret of a long and happy marriage is just not finding someone that you can live with for 50 years but finding someone you can't live without. And I think that is so true. So men, honor that commitment that you have made. Secondly, the good husband will cleave, as the King James Version says, be joined, the new King James Version, hold fast, as the ESV says, to his wife. Found in Genesis 2.24, which we looked at earlier. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You look at this term, cleave, be joined, hold fast. And Strong's definition of that word means to impinge, to cling or adhere, figuratively to catch by pursuit, abide fast, cleave fast together, follow close or hard after, be joined together, keep fast, overtake, pursue hard, stick to, take. When Jesus was quoted this verse in Matthew, the 19th chapter in verse 5, the Greek word that he used in this idea of cleaving or holding fast, be joined, denotes a union of the firmest kind. The original word carries the idea of gluing and means to firmly adhere together that nothing can separate them. It's a holding fast. It's a strong bond between a man and a woman. It is stronger than the bond between the parent and the child. And this is forgotten by some. Sometimes parents forget that that child has left home and has gone to establish their own home. And what they do is, is they put demands still upon that child that they should not. And when they put those demands upon that child, that can cause friction in that child's marriage. And so parents have to be very careful to remember, not only does the child leave, you have to let go. And then, again, sometimes married couples do not, uh, they, they have a tendency to sometimes run back to mom and dad when there's a problem. 
The band goes back to Mama and says, Mom, she is just treating me so mean and so cruel. And what does Mama do? She consoles him, takes his side, and that just makes the problem that much worse. They need to work it out between the two of them. Dad, on Brenda's and my, just before we got married, he told me, he said, Tom, he says, when you get married, if you have any problems, you work that out between you and Brenda. He says, your mother and I don't want to hear about it. And I think that's good advice. Keep it between the two of you. And that would, you'd be able to work those matters out. We have to remember as far as emotional attachments are concerned, this new unit takes precedent over all previous and future relationships that we might have upon this earth. Well, as we take a look at this verse of scripture, he's joined his wife, and they become one flesh. They are no longer two entities. We'll use my little crude blocks here of wood. Here is a woman, and here is a man, if you can't read that on the front of those blocks of wood. Allow me to use Chris and I as an illustration. Chris and I knew each other for 25 years before we got married. We had interaction, one with the other, her and Daryl, Brenda and I. Our children grew up together. As a matter of fact, my daughter, Joanna, and her daughter, daughter Heather, were very good friends, and they visited at each other's house often. But we were two separate entities at that time. Here, Chris could go off on vacation, and that wouldn't affect me at all. Or I could go off on vacation, and that wouldn't affect her any uh, whatsoever. Things that happened in her family I never knew about. It didn't affect me. And the things that happened in my family that she knew nothing about didn't affect her at all. But then Chris and I got married. And if you can't tell it, those are two blocks of wood. And they have been bonded together. It is glue that is, has put those two blocks together. Now, Chris told me not to try to break these apart. She says, but they're bonded well. It's, it'd be tough to, to break them apart. But we are now one entity. We are now one flesh. And so what happens to me happens to her. What happens to her happens to me. What she does affects me. What I do affects her. We are now bonded together as husband and wife. It is a complete different relationship. We are now a married couple, that one entity. Emotionally, intellectually, financially, and in every other way, the couple becomes one. And even as 
one part of the body cares for the other parts of the body. Each partner in that marriage is to care for the other. Every decision that I make in my life, my wife has to be taken into consideration because we are now one flesh. And being one flesh, that also affects her. Now, we cannot be simply become one flesh with our spouse simply by getting married. This joining requires a complete devotion unto each other. So husbands, love your wives. Third point that we look at this morning is that a good, or I'm sorry, must cleave to his wife. Now we're going to look at husbands are to love their wives. In Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 28, points this out to the husbands. In verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Most marriages start out with a husband and the wife loving each other. You can just see it in their eyes. On that wedding day, their eyes just have, they have no eyes for it, nobody else other than for each other. Often, this love is only an affectionate love, a love that comes through physical attraction, but it can become a strong type of love as each grow together. This, though just an affectionate love, is not the type of love that makes for a strong and lasting marriage. Long engagements, I believe, Get to know one another, who they are, how they think, what they believe is very important. Now, don't say anything about Chris and I, how quickly we got married, because I knew her for 25 years. I knew what kind of woman she was. Not only are husbands to love their wives, But we can see, too, that they are given an example of love. And that is, Christ is that example. We are to make the love that Christ had for the church as a model for the type of love that we have for our wives. Christ gave himself for the church. He died to redeem mankind. It was a sacrificial love. He denied himself. Did Jesus look forward to going to the cross? No. He even prayed that if it be possible, let that cup pass from him. Yet he denied himself knowing the greater good that he would have been doing. While husbands are to imitate the Redeemer in this respect, they are to love their wives and be willing to deny himself. It is the duty of the husband to work to support her, to provide for the needs that she has, and it may require that he deny himself in doing so. He may have to deny himself of rest and relaxation if necessary in order to attend 
to her in sickness, to defend her when she is in trouble, and be ready to die to save her. That is the type of love that a husband is to have for his wife. It is an unselfish love. A husband is in no danger of loving his wife too much, provided she is not loved more than God. A husband should have the same care for the comfort of his wife as he would for himself. You look at Ephesians 5 and 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. He should care for her as he would for himself. Would he want to protect himself? Most certainly. Would he want, does he want to make sure that he has proper shelter from the cold, that, that he is not uh, cold and hungry? Care about when we're sick. You know, I'm a big baby. When I get sick, I, do, I want to be pampered. And, um, you know, wives also would enjoy some of that. But we care for her just like he would himself. Men want the, wants these things. The wife also needs those things. And think about this just for a moment. Men... The scriptures tell us that we become one flesh with our spouse. So what happens to her happens also to me. What we do to promote the happiness and the welfare of our wives will also promote the happiness of ourselves, our own welfare. A man's kindness to his wife will be repaid she will want to return that kindness unto him. Well, I've almost gone 40 minutes, and that's halfway through the lesson, so we'll stop there for this morning as we talk about husbands and their responsibilities. As our theme for the year, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As a uh, husband... When I treat my wife properly, then I am serving the Lord. I am doing that which God requires of me. In all of my life, every aspect of it, every phase of it, whether it be marriage or my relationship to the church, my business relationship as a parent, as a child, I have responsibility. And those responsibilities should coincide with what the Lord has had to say. The same thing is true in our obedience unto the Lord. The Lord has told us that when we hear that word and we believe that word, that should cause us to repent of our sins, confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior, and to be baptized for the remission of of our sins. That is what the Lord requires in our primary obedience. 
And so every service, we give those in our audience that have not done that to come forward and so that they might be baptized into Christ. But then again, too, sometimes we walk down that path. We start down that path, and we veer off. But as we talked about in our Bible class, the Lord has made it possible for us to come back. And so when we repent of our sins and pray for forgiveness, we can have it. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation this morning, we encourage you to come while we stand and while we sing.